0: What's up, guys? I'm Carolina Risotto. Welcome back to another episode of No Ducks Given podcast, the podcast where we speak openly and honestly about the highs and lows in life because vulnerability is a superpower, not a weakness. Today we are interviewing one of my closest friends here in New York City. His name is Seth Kugel. He's a travel columnist for the New York Times and also the creator of Amigo Gringo. It is a portal for Brazilians to learn about American culture and about travel tips around the world. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about traveling out of your comfort zone and i think seth is like the perfect person because he knows really well about different cultures around the world so i'm super excited to welcome amigo gringo aka seth kugo
1: hi carolina
0: hey how's it going
1: i'm doing very well thank you i like how you pronounced amigo gringo in brazilian portuguese
0: well yeah i have to stay, you know truth to my audience Mm -hmm. (laughs) though sometimes like uh, i introduce myself as carolina so maybe I should say Carolina. What, do you, th- what do you think?
1: Um, no, I think you should just be Carolina. I think if you're speaking English, then it's up to you whether you want to say your name with the regular English pronunciation or the original Portuguese pronunciation. I remember when I was uh, growing up in, in Boston, there was a reporter on the local news who who would say... And reporting live from Boston, my name is Jorge Quiroga, News Center 5. And that's his choice. But I think he could have just said Jorge Quiroga if he had wanted to. It's really, up, I think it's up to the person. Who are we to say?
0: I bounce back and forth. I'm not really sure what I want to do at this point. I know a lot about you, but, mm. and we've talked too a much. lot. Too much. <laughs> and you know a lot about me too. yeah, Maybe too much as well. Um, But I know that whenever I go to your apartment, I see all these travel books. I know you've written guidebooks as well. So tell me about your relationship with travel. Is this something that you've always been passionate about, something you've always done?
1: Uh, Yes. When I was 10, my parents decided uh, that we should start doing some traveling. And I think my, my parents used to travel before I was born. Uh, and that was way back in the day, like it, and and when not as many people traveled. Travel right now is something so many people have access to. Of course, not nearly everyone. It's still a total privilege to be able to travel, and still most people in the world have probably never gone that out far outside their hometown or their, at least their home country. But uh, yeah, so um, since I was ten, and I get to do some really a few very amazing trips when I was a young adult, I went on an exchange trip, uh, like a YMCA camp exchange trip to Kenya when I was 15, uh, and lived in a, um, you know, a village uh, in a thatched roof home, like a hut, uh, in a place where there was no um, there was no running water, there was no electricity, there was no internet. Of course, at that time, there was no internet anywhere in the world. So having no internet in Kenya was not uh, weird. So there was that, and then when I uh, became a teacher after college, I taught a lot of students who were either immigrants from the Dominican Republic or or children of immigrants from the Dominican Republic, which is, of course, one of New York's biggest immigrant groups, and they invited, uh, several parents invited me to the Dominican Republic, and I got to go live in, basically, in my students' grandparents' homes in the Dominican Republic, And you know, most people think of the Dominican Republic as a a beach resort. This was no beach resort. This they lived in the city. Uh, They were, you know, sort of working class and ate awesome food. And I fried, learned how to fry plantains, and just I was. It was funny. I was talking about being out of your comfort zone. I mean, at least where I was, I was the whitest person. With for miles. And the people in the neighborhood started calling me the Mormon because the only white people they had ever seen in the neighborhood were Mormon missionaries.
0: Where did your family uh, gain this passion for travel? Because at 15, you're having all these experiences. That's crazy.
1: Uh, It's a a good question. I I think that somehow my mom started to travel like backpacking in Europe when there weren't backpacks yet. So in like the first half of the 20th century, as we begin our history lesson, it was not that easy to travel from the U.S. to Europe except in a ship. So very few people traveled to Europe from the U.S. unless they were pretty rich and they had a few weeks off because they'd have to take a ship for, I don't know, a week or something and back. Like the people in the Titanic, they were not on a cruise like just to go on a cruise. They were coming from New York to Europe? I think it was New York to, to Europe. I think Europe it was to Europe, Europe to New York, oh, actually. Oh, was yeah, watching it a few days okay. ago. So this was the way of transport. But then after World War II, uh, technology got better. Airplanes got better. And by like the 60s, people were actually flying. Or maybe the 50s, people were flying back and forth to Europe. And my mom would have been doing this probably in the 60s. And for some reason, she went and did it and loved it. And I think my father would go on ski trips to... I don't know. Anyway, both my mother and my father liked to travel... They traveled before I was born, and then when we were growing up, when we were little kids, they didn't travel. I think today a lot of people travel with their little kids. But I think back then that was pretty rare. Uh, So I guess there was that. I mean, I also remember very clearly being interested in the globe, like we had one of the spinning globes of the world, and I was so fascinated by all the different countries. So you spin around the globe and you're like, I wonder what's there. I wonder what's there. I wonder what's there. I wonder what's there. And we had an atlas also, which had like really detailed maps, and I was fascinated by the maps. And I was also into archaeology, like Egyptian archaeology, and like so I'd look at the maps of Egypt and be like, Oh, it'd be so cool to visit the pyramids and this and that and the other thing, and. Then, I think, like I kind of figured out at one point like it would be really cool to visit the ancient Egyptians and like hang out with the Pharaohs and stuff, but when they're just mummies it 's not quite as interesting, so I actually thought it was became more interesting when I travel i 'm like it 's not actually the history that i 'm interested in so much it 's the current people like I want to meet the people from every country, and I want to hear all the languages and I want to try all the food and, and I want to like, find out how different they are from me and how they're different. And, and what, um, you know, a lot of times when you, when you travel, the best experience is when you find out something you didn't know about yourself or about your own country. For example, I never really knew before I hung out with Brazilians how clean the human body could be. So, like, here we are in the United States taking, like, one shower a day, and we're like, I'm totally clean. And, like, when I was a kid, it was like two baths a week max. You are clean enough. Meanwhile, then I go to Brazil, and everyone's taking, like, three showers a day, and they're, like, smell good all the time. And I'm not talking about rich Brazilians either. Like, I was on a boat going down the Amazon River that didn't – it was just, like, people sleeping in hammocks. And the the bathrooms were pretty – grungy and they were made of wood and the wood was rotting and stuff. And the I don't know, the water must have come from the river. I'm, I'm not really even sure. But people were, I was like, oh, this place is going to smell terrible after two days. That place smelled great. Everyone was brushing their teeth. Everyone was taking showers all the time. So I didn't even really know that I wasn't clean until I went to Brazil. So I love how travel makes you rethink how you do stuff in your own country or city or culture.
0: Do you think people are doing travel wrong these days? Because a lot of people travel to places for the Insta photo or for the hype um, and don't really get to know people. And based on what you're telling me, your biggest interest behind travel is getting to connect with people in different cultures. So do you think that in the past like 20 years or so, um, especially with the rise of social media, the people's uh, reason for travel has changed? Or has it always been this way?
1: First of all, I don't think anyone is traveling wrong. It's funny when I wrote my book about travel we actually thought about calling it you're traveling wrong uh, but that didn't seem fair to me because people should get out of travel whatever they want to get out of travel. That said I think there are a lot of ways people could get more out of travel so um, the whole thing about Instagram and taking selfies and all that sort of thing I mean that instinct has always been with us. It's not really directly about selfies it's about showing the rest of the world or showing your friends where you are and where you've been. So if you go back, let's get into our history lesson again. If you go back to some of the first sort of modernish tourists, you're talking about British, rich British young people, mostly men who would do the grand tour of Europe when they were like 18 or 19 or 20. And it was like a rite of passage. And if you had enough money, you like hired a couple servants to carry your trunks and You went to like Rome and Paris and you like met people and also like got drunk and hired prostitutes. That was also a big part of it. They would often come back with souvenirs. And the thing that I thought was so funny when I learned it is one of the popular souvenirs was to get themselves painted in front of some monument. So you, you go to like the Colosseum in Rome and then you hire a painter to paint you in front of the Colosseum, and you put it up, the painting, over your like fireplace, and then people come over and you're like, look, it's me in front of the Colosseum. Like, it might have taken like six months for you to put up your painting of yourself in front of the Colosseum, but it's basically Instagram. Probably my bigger problem about travel is how well documented the world is. That's not a social media problem. That's more of like a Tripadvisor kind of problem. So everywhere you go, you can read a million reviews about everything. Your decisions are kind of made for you. A lot of people just say like, okay, what's the best things to do in, I don't know, San Diego or something like that. And then they just go do them or they read the reviews or whatever. First of all, I think that's not much fun. I think there's a lot of fun in being surprised And just like walking down the street and seeing what restaurant looks good and going in and not already knowing what it's famous for and not already knowing that if you don't get the, you know, veal Parmesan, you're really missing out and like figure it out for yourself and be surprised. I've often said that. If I read 37 reviews of this restaurant, I, I have certain expectations that have been formed. Like, okay, this is the best dish. This is the best appetizer. The service is going to be like this. I've set such a probably high bar, like, of how great an experience I'm going to have. If it's not amazing, I'm going to be disappointed. Whereas if I had no idea what to expect, I would be delighted just to see the menu for the first time. I go in, oh, wow, this menu is amazing. Um, and they're like, hmm, I wonder what you think I should get. Well... I could look in my phone and see which ones are best reviewed or, oh, wow. I could like look around at what people at other tables are are eating. People I think used to, and I think some people still do like say, oh, excuse me to the people at the table next to them. Like what what dish is that? Oh, how is it? Or whatever. And like that, that's a great way to do things. You might get the same information somewhat from an online review, but you've, oh, now you've been given a chance to talk to a stranger. And in most cases, they'll be polite and they'll tell you, oh, it's really good. You should definitely get it. One out of every t- 10 times, they start a conversation with you. One out of every 100 times, you might walk out of the restaurant and go for a walk with them. Or one out of 500 times, they might be like, oh, are you from out of town? And then you start talking and they're like, yeah, you should come over. You know, that happens from talking to strangers. Uh, one thing I've noticed a lot is what we tend to do when we're traveling and we're alone and uncomfortable is what? We either look at our phones or we put in our earbuds and listen to a podcast or something like that, which removes you entirely from the world of talking to strangers. I would just suggest people just put away their phone. And is it uncomfortable to sit there and like drink alone or eat alone or something like that? Yeah, it's, it is kind of uncomfortable, but that'll make you speak to people more or it might make others speak to you. Of course, if you're a beautiful woman like Carolina Rosotto, you can just sit there and, and men will probably come over for better or for worse and talk to you. But if you're just a guy like me, you know, you have to like actually force yourself to like either talk to other people or have other people talk to you, and people are very unlikely to talk to you unless you have like earbuds if you have if you have your earbuds in or if you're staring into your phone. So much just happens. Am I am I am I am I talking too much for you? No this you have so much valuable
0: information it's just i'm trying to react and like process everything and follow up with the next question it's crazy the amount of experiences that you you were already able to describe to us and the history lessons too um of the things that you can the ways that you can experience travel out out of your comfort zone and I think sometimes it's as simple as taking off the earbuds and talking to someone next to you instead of checking on your phone for the best review. I have to admit, I'm an avid Yelper. I always go on Yelp before eating anywhere.
1: Nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and it's a Just nice... Just kidding.
1: There's definitely something wrong with that. Go, go ahead.
0: <laughs> it's a nice resource, but you're definitely making me notice that maybe I should bring that spontaneity a little bit more with me, not fear... I don't know, eating at the wrong place. Usually the reason that I go to Yelp is because I'm like, I want to make sure that I eat the best r- restaurant and they pick the right dish because I don't want to waste any experience.
1: How do you know that the people on Yelp have the same taste as you? I mean, one thing I've, I've I've recommended to people is like, let's list all the places where you can find information on restaurants. So there's Yelp, there's Google Maps, there's TripAdvisor. I mean, there must be... F- 10 other ways to do it, right? Find the neighborhood near that you know the best, probably your hometown or something like that. And then look at all of these apps and see how it does with the restaurants that you already know. So if you look at a restaurant you already love and read on Yelp and it says, it sort of gives you the impression it's like ranked 17th and it kind of has some a lot of good reviews but sort of some bad reviews that floated up to the top. Be like, Dude, is Yelp really giving me the directions to the restaurant I'm going to like the best. And also remember, it also is raising your expectations of this number one restaurant already. So there is, I don't think there's anything wrong with any of these tools. I think just people misuse them. Here's an l- example I really like. So, thing on TripAdvisor that says things to do in Manhattan. Well, you can probably guess what like the top 10 are, right? Central Park, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, The Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty, whatever. So already, it's kind of useless. But if you scroll down to like 20 and 30 and whatever, it's okay. So there's probably like 2,000 things to do in New York on TripAdvisor. So what I suggest people do is go to number 2,000 and read from there and then start scrolling down. Because you're going to find a lot of unusual stuff. It's not necessarily so low in the list because it gets one-star reviews. It's that low in the list because it only has a few reviews. I remember one of the things uh, really low in the list in New York is like the, the fire station that was in Ghostbusters. Like, that's kind of fun. What if you're a big Ghostbusters fan? And you're like, oh, I didn't know the the fire station. I mean, everyone goes visits visit the Friends apartment, which is just a building. Right? Guilty. Yeah, okay.
0: I have a whole video about it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, fine. I mean, whatever. But Like, or you'll find some very small museum that you've never heard of before. Even if you live in New York, you've never heard of it before. I did this in Paris, and I ended up in some really cool small museums that certainly are not in the top 30 or 40 or 50 museums in Paris, but that's because they're small and... People don't know about them, and there's not as many reviews about them. So, you know, people all do the same stuff when they travel, and I think this is one of the reasons. And there's just no way everyone is equally interested in in numbers 1 through 10. There's some people out there for for, for whom, like, number 42 is a great restaurant. And guess how I know that? Because people go to restaurant number 42. Can you imagine if people only went to restaurant 1 through 10 on Yelp? Like, all these restaurants would shut down. But the people who live in the neighborhood like restaurant number 42
0: so you almost feel like uh technology is taking away the spontaneity and beauty of travel and discovering new things Uh, i
1: think that people using technology in in a certain way is doing that
0: okay so then one way to travel out of your comfort zone is to look beyond the top 10 tourist destinations and top 10 restaurants explore the other items on the list
1: yes but and also Be ready to change your plans as as much as possible. So if you're like, oh, I found this great place on Yelp. Let's go there. And then on the way there, you you have to keep your eye out. Maybe there's another interesting place. Or maybe there's a brand new restaurant that is so new that it hasn't really risen. Maybe, Maybe it's just opened that day. Don't go to number one. Go to the one you're walking by. Keep your eyes open. You know how there's, you're, pro- you're probably like this because I'm like this. You're like, oh, I would never go on an organized tour with a tour guide that takes me around all day. I want to explore the city myself, right? A lot of people feel that way. And I don't think that's wrong. The problem is then if you use Yelp and TripAdvisor and Google Maps as the way to fight, figure out what you're doing, that's just essentially a tour guide telling you what to do because it's all algorithm. It's all going to send you the same places every time. So you need to find some way to improvise. You're on a 10-day trip, choose one day. Don't look up anything in advance or look up just what neighborhood you want to go to. Walk around, you see a museum, go to the museum. You see a restaurant, go to the restaurant. You get lost, just ask people directions. Nobody asks anyone directions anymore.
0: Do you think people are more intimidated today than they were in the past to stop someone on the street and ask for directions or ask for
1: advice? No, they're not more intimidated but they always have been intimidated to do that the problem is before they had to and now they don't have to anymore so they're
0: missing out on opportunity of human connection and new
1: experiences right because of the technology I mean you could you could say the same thing for I mean this is a whole different area that we also love to talk about but let's how do you meet members of the sex that you like to go out like how do you get a date so <laughs> there you go um, I was gonna say members of the opposite sex i old but you can't say I mean, no, that's not true anymore <laughs> And It never was true. Anyway, whatever. Okay.
0: How do you get a date? So
1: how do you get a date? Well, it used to be you'd have to like meet people somehow. You would never get a date. Now, you don't have to do that at all. It's all technology. And I got nothing against dating apps, as you very well know. But it does help us to be less social in social occasions.
0: Okay. So it sounds like to me that when we're traveling, we should combine the technology with also our instincts and having new human experience outside of technology yes so we want to have both right technology is a tool but don't depend completely on it
1: and i would suggest that whoever we are and i definitely include myself we all depend on technology more than we should so even if you are if you're listening to this if you're one of the billions of listeners to this podcast and you are saying, no, that is how I travel. I don't look at my phone that much. Well, my suggestion is look at it a little less. Or you, know, you can always improve a little bit. If you only look at your phone, take half a day and don't look at your phone. But we all can improve. And the way that I know that is because I talk about this and I still do it. I still do it. I still feel uncomfortable in a restaurant when I'm eating alone. And I still like to stare into my phone.
0: Yeah, I get that. Something I've been trying to exercise, even just living in New York, is sometimes when you're in the subway, just taking public transportation, Uh, you're sitting there everybody's looking down like people are looking at your phones or they're reading nobody's fully present and I get that it's the daily commute you kind of want to distract yourself and pretend that it's not even happening Um, but sometimes I stop I look up and I just observe people I think that's kind of like how you develop a little bit of intuition and human instincts to know like who to approach especially with my job where sometimes I have to stop people on the street to interview them I think you start getting a good sense of energy of who's open to conversation of who might want to help you or who's cranky that day and doesn't want to talk to you. So I think it's a good exercise to just stop and observe your surroundings. And it's like going back to maybe our primal human instincts of communication and survival. But I want to go back just for a second to the idea of travel. Why do you think people should travel?
1: Mm, I don't think they should unless they want to. I have at least one friend who avidly dislikes travel. And he would say if he were here right now, yeah, I mean, in theory, it sounds great, but it's uncomfortable and puts you in like costs a lot of money. And you know what he likes to do? Read about other places or talk to people from other cultures that live near him. I will say why I think it's great to travel. I just think that we all live in a very tiny portion of the world, even uh, you know, even if I'm in New York. So I, I see a lot of people all the time who are sort of different from each other. But we all experience such a tiny fraction of human civilization and of natural beauty that if you want to, you see something new and challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zone, as you would say. It's just an amazing, huge world with lots of cool stuff going on. And I personally can't imagine not wanting to see it. You don't really have to go that far to travel it's like we always think about like oh we need we're going to other countries and exotic places like there's so many places in New York state that i have not been that i would love to go to there are parts of new york city that i would also love to go to i you know i've just been i had a student do a piece about sheep's head bay uh, the brooklyn neighborhood of sheep's head bay I mean, I've lived in New York City like 25 years. I don't think I've ever been to Sheepshead Bay. And it's known for a certain kind of restaurants, and it's on the water. And, like, I don't even realize how close I am to the water. People who can't afford to travel to another country or to another part of the country, there's so much, there's so many ways to do it within your own sort of neck of the woods. Even through food is a great way to travel. Uh, when I was writing my book, I decided, I was like, you know, I've never been to Thailand Uh, But I love Thai food. So I, I was like, you know what's so interesting? Like, if this were 100 years ago, I would have never tasted Thai food. It would have been completely inaccessible to me. Like, I would literally, the only way I could know what Thai food was like would be to get a book. Okay, so 1923. So there would have been photographic books of Thailand, which might have shown some of the food almost certainly in black and white, I would think. So the closest I could have come to eating Thai food is to like a black and white book in 1923. So now there's like 800 Thai restaurants in New York. So you can get something pretty close to what you could get in Thailand just by getting on the subway. There's ways to experience different things uh, closer to home. So there's like 17 different routes I can take home. So... I try to take a different route every day. Do I turn on 74th? Do I turn on 75th? Do I turn on 76th? Do I take a right on this one? Do I, uh, do I go down Roosevelt? Do I go? But I'm totally against going the same route every time. Because, you know, I want to see who's living in some house that is a really quirky looking old house. And if I walk by that like 13 times, maybe the 13th time, the people will be like in the yard and I can see who lives there. Like I'm just a very curious, you might even say nosy, about other people. I I walked out, look, we're, we're, I'm looking out at a building right now and I'm like, who lives there? Like, I want to, I want to go in their house. I want to see how it's furnished. I want to know what they do for a living. I want to know, are they, is a family getting along well? Like, I want to know everything. And it's a lot of opportunities to do that in everyone's life.
0: Sounds like you're a journalist, Seth. Uh, Well, okay, okay, that's true. I mean, that's cool. So it's like, Traveling is great. It's a great way to step out of your comfort zone, discover new cultures and new places. But if you also don't feel like traveling or can't afford it, there are ways for you to travel within your own city or close to it for you to still get a little bit of a spark of curiosity. I really like the analogy you made about trying new routes home like to see like something new. And it's funny because sometimes you can walk by the same street a million times and not notice something. And then suddenly you look up, you're like, wait, I never noticed that sign. So I think this is a good reminder for us to pay a little more attention to our surroundings and the things that are happening around us. But going back to travel, I mean, because that's the the focus of the episode, like Why do you think it's a valuable experience to travel? I know we talked about seeing how different people live, and I think that's super cool. But from a self-discovery point of view, what are things you've discovered about yourself through your travels? Because you basically become half Brazilian, you know, you went to Brazil, you fell in love with the culture. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that, about um, you discovering a huge part of your identity and now your even personal brand. You know, you speak Portuguese fluently. You spend half of the year living in Brazil. You have an apartment now in Brazil. So let's talk about the process of self-discovery in traveling.
1: Sure. So, well, one of the things I've discovered about myself in spending so much time in Brazil is how ignorant I am about most of the rest of the world because I love, I think I really recommend traveling to the same place over and over again. I think it's been incredibly valuable to me to become comfortable In Brazilian culture um, to sort of figure out what's going on around me to be able to I'm not not perfect even close to it in my understanding of Brazil but I know more than most non-Brazilians about Brazil and so unfortunately or fortunately actually I think that really helps me with people from other countries so if like what do I know about Japan I've never been to Japan what do I know about it? Well, I don't know. They eat sushi. There's a really crowded cities. They have a really good train system. They're, you know, I mean, I could name all these sort of stereotypical things, but most people like think, oh, so that's Japan. Like, I know that's not Japan. Like, if I meet someone from Japan and they say, well, I'm a a, a, a farmer and a French chef or something like that, it's not going to surprise me because I know not to sort of prejudge people by where they're from because I know how wrong most people are about Brazil. And by the way, how wrong most Brazilians are about the United States, right? So I think that traveling has allowed me to see, you know, it's the old thing like you don't know what you don't know. Like now I think I do know what I don't know, like a lot. And you become much more humble about your sort of knowledge of the world When you get to know one place and suddenly you're like, oh, my God, I'm completely ignorant of all of these other places. So that's one thing. Another thing is it's just a huge personal challenge, right? So learning a language, learning Portuguese, when I was not very good at it, you know, you have to just go ahead and speak or you're not going to get what you want when you're there. Or if you refuse to speak, you're going to end up only in the hotels of Rio de Janeiro where somebody speaks English. So there's that aspect of it. I just love reading the newspaper, reading the news from Brazil. It's like this whole new world opens up. So, I don't know. I, I just have gotten a lot out of it. But, well, it's just it gives you a lot of joy to see new things and learn new things. It also just makes you feel a little bit more like a world citizen. Like, it feels like, I don't know. I feel like I know a lot of things that I would never have known. And I feel like I'm better able to operate in the world for doing that i guess
0: so from a general point of view what are usually uh, the biggest uh, categories where people have misconceptions about different cultures Uh, because every culture has a stereotype What, what was a stereotype for brazil for example i hear a lot that people say there are a lot of trans people in brazil apparently this is a stereotype in france the
1: french people think there are a
0: lot of trans people
1: I don't know why that's a go-to stereotype. I wonder if like some images of carnival or something are like a lot of men dress as women or... Well, because, you know, it's like a carnival specialty around the world that you you dress as something else, right? You dress up. So maybe, uh, and I know, I don't know if it's specific to Brazilian carnival, but I know that like gender flexibility is big at carnivals around the world and brazil is known for its carnival maybe it has something to do with that
0: sure it's funny because i grew up in brazil and i had never heard that there but then i heard that from the french people about brazil like several french people said that but in the meantime the french people have the reputation of smelling bad and not taking showers which i have dated a french guy and i can admit that's not true (laughs) they are pretty clean
1: Uh, for that one person well (laughs) actually it's not so much that they're not clean it's that they have a different view of what clean means right like we know for a fact there's been there's this amazing chart about like how many average showers a day do people in different countries take like this exists if people Google it they'll find it so the French people take far fewer showers than the Brazilians that's just a fact and of course, it doesn't mean not everyone smells, but I, I also I studied in France for, a few, for five months when I was in college, and I had a real hard time taking showers because I was in a homestay, and so I lived with this family, and this woman, this, my French mom, as we would call her, like she timed how long we were in the shower because hot water was very expensive. So there are cultural reasons and practical reasons. So yeah, I I bet that it is true. But that doesn't mean that's because they're dirty. It means they have a different they have different pressures or different reasons or... Yeah,
0: also in Brazil, like, usually it's it's warm in most of the country all year long. So we need more showers, especially Rio, where I grew up. Like, the humidity is insane. You leave your shower, you're already sweating. Yeah. So then you already want to hop on another shower, which is why people usually wear less clothes because it's hot all the time.
1: But I think you would find, and I don't, I'm not an absolute specialist about this, that if you went to another country where it was really hot, if you went to some, say, African country... People would take fewer showers, and For sure. I'm going to tell you why. And I, I, it's not something I'm an expert scholar at, but I've definitely read about this. It's because Brazil has more rivers than pretty much any other place in the world. Like Brazil is like a third of the world's fresh water. I'm making that up, but it's some big statistic. So if you go back to indigenous times before the Portuguese, before the Europeans arrived, the indigenous peoples of Brazil spent a lot of time in the rivers cleaning clothes, taking baths, playing, cleaning. It's just so it just they did it because they could, and it became a part of their practices.
0: Which is an interesting point of view as well, uh, or just point to make that our uh, habits, our cultural habits, ha- are like rooted way back to our ancestors. And we don't even know. So like that could have absolutely influenced the fact that we take a lot of showers, apparently.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's also a practical reason, which is there's still a lot of rivers in Brazil. There's still a big water supply. So you can still take a lot of showers because there's still a lot of water in Brazil. Like if it all dried up, remember like Sao Paulo, Well, you're from Rio, but like Sao Paulo for a while had these big water shortage. And like if the water stops, that's it. You're not taking any more showers anyway.
0: When was the first time that you went to Brazil?
1: 2004.
0: Okay, so it's been 19 years. When you first went there, what was your expectation?
1: I'm a little bit of a strange case, right? Because I had spent all this time before that in the Dominican Republic and Mexico and Honduras. And Brazil is a very different kind of a place, but it's not that drastically different from the Dominican Republic or Colombia or a place. I mean, if you, it's like, Colum- you mean culturally. culturally speaking, right. The language, of course, is different, but it's actually a related language. The food is different, but it's still rice and beans and meat. And so I, I have to admit, I was very pleasantly surprised to find myself very comfortable in Brazil, uh, with the exception of certain cultural practices like the showers. I mean, there are a lot of misconceptions about, well, I mean, things, there are things that shock people. I mean, at that point, I was much younger. And, like, I was shocked by how often people made out and kissed in, like, bars and parties and stuff like that.
0: The PDA. Okay.
1: I mean, not everyone does this, of course, but, like, you could easily, like, make out with five different people at a at a nightclub or something like that and then not go home with anyone. Yeah. So, that's also a great cultural difference that is – so, there's this crazy thing. I don't know if you've noticed this, but – Brazilian women especially have this unfortunate reputation of being sort of easy, quote-unquote, but a lot of Brazilian women think American women are easy, and there's this crazy thing, and of course easy is not the right word anyway because we wouldn't use that word of the men, So, but let's just go with it because it's a stereotype. I think it's because Brazilians make out all the time, and we think that's strange and then Brazilians come to the u s and see us dancing, and it looks like we're like having sex with our clothes on on the dance floor, and they think that makes us easy anyway this this just massive cultural misunderstanding that uh, that creates these these stereotypes, so it takes a little while to figure out. I mean we could talk forever also about like racism in the u s versus racism in Brazil. Both countries are racist, but they're racist in totally different ways so you get so people will often have the impression it's either far worse than in their own country or far better than in their own country and i don't i don't know that it is i don't know that it's like at that different of a level
0: but to simplify it like what were your first expectations when you were in brazil and then like what surprised you the first time that you went
1: i think that people were probably people being incredibly open and sweet and friendly and loving and uh, uh, with me as a a foreigner, but also to a certain extent to each other in this boat. So I spent, this is the first thing I did in Brazil. I spent four days on a boat uh, going from the Colombian border to Manaus. That was a great experience and made so many friends. And I think I was already a pretty, a pretty experienced traveler at that point. So I guess if you have a specific, specific questions about what was different, I might be able to answer them. But I actually felt quite at home in Brazil right away.
0: So then what made you decide to go there more often?
1: Uh, well, I um, had I'd been going for about four years. I probably went once a year because I really wanted to perfect or improve my Portuguese And then at some point, I just decided, I guess I was 37, and I was like, I can't believe I've never lived outside the United States, except for those five months in France as a student, which I didn't even really count. It's like a semester abroad. I want to live and work in another country. But I got a job as a journalist there, and I think the reason is that it's pretty rare for Americans to speak Portuguese. It's not nearly as rare for Americans to speak Spanish. I mean, we have millions and millions of people who speak it as a native language. You know, our, our Latino population. So I wanted to work in Latin America, I wanted to live in Latin America and Brazil, the fact that I spoke Portuguese, and the fact that Brazil is such a massive country with such a complex history and culture and diversity within it was also very appealing.
0: Obviously, you developed a really strong connection with Brazil because now you own property there and you spent half the year there, as we mentioned earlier. Um, who would you be if you had never discovered Brazil? Like, because it's such a huge part of who you are at this point.
1: Well, I mean, lots of other things could have happened. I could have like got married when I was 28 and had kids and never left the United States again. I mean, who knows?
0: But like you as a person, you know, because I, I really feel like you swing both ways between the super friendly and sweet Brazilian personality and the harsh New Yorker. Yeah,
1: I've learned to be more sort of friendly and warm and maybe loving and uh open i think brazilians have taught me all of that although dominicans started the job so i I, it's hard to separate that out i think probably i would be involved in speaking some language and traveling somewhere like i would have i think that i was destined to be involved with other countries because to me it just makes my life so much better to have other countries that I'm, you know, comfortable in and and, and meeting people from. Uh, so it's possible. But what if I had been, like, what if it had been France? I did apply when I was a senior in college to teach English in France. And who knows? Maybe I would have stayed in France or continue working with the French. I'd be even more cynical. And I, I might not smell this good. It's possible. So I think that, well, I'm very, very... Thankful for whatever luck took me to Latin America, and not just Latin America, but I I think the Afro-Latin cultures, so the cultures that had a big enslaved population, which obviously, if we could go back in history and change that, we would, but if you combine... African influence of Brazil and the indigenous influence of Brazil and then, all, of course, the Portuguese and Spanish and all the other groups, like, it's just such a great mixture for for horrible historical reasons, but the result is really something pretty special and I think it's created this unique Brazilian personality that a certain certainly adopted some of it
0: you switch on and off between both the american and brazilian i can tell when which one is on and then in some conversations they're both blended in together really well but i think it's interesting how by traveling or living abroad like spending time with other cultures i think you start um adopting certain habits or traits or um, ways of communicating so brazilians are really touchy right So when I moved to the U.S., I had to stop touching everyone because I had to overcompensate because I couldn't find the balance. Like I would meet my boss. I would go for a hug. It was weird. You know, they don't do that in the U.S. Like you're giving the wrong impression. But in Brazil, it's really common for you to hug your boss. Like when I was in Rio, um, the beginning of the year, I remember my friend, he invited me to an event. He's like, oh, it's Sunday night. It's an event with my company. Come check it out. It's going to be great. It's going to be by the beach at a kiosk. I was like, "Okay, great. But my new york mindset was thinking this is probably some sort of like networking event so i didn't even know what to dress Uh. but i arrived at the kiosk and there was a whole party the ceo of the company was performing with his band (laughs) everybody was singing along there were these random girls drooling all over the married ceo who did not give them any attention but they were just there and people were vibing on a sunday night you know and just hugging each other and being all loving and i was like Whoa. So it was interesting for me that even just, you know, living abroad for eight years, I already felt like a surprise in my own country with that big cultural difference. I think it's cool that you have become this being um, that it's like, Brazilian American, like I, you don't even need to have the citizenship; I'll give it to you, and that's how you know you're in. <laughs> but like, you become this because you've allowed yourself to travel and you stepped out of your comfort zone, and I think that's awesome.
1: You know, I thank you very much. It's very nice of you. I accept Brazilian citizenship. <laughs> um, I, I really love when people's roles are switched. So if I, I love when, like, say, I'll meet a. Brazilian woman in New York at a semi like vaguely it wouldn't just be like a friend at a party but it was in some sort of work related thing like maybe I have to interview them for an article or I have to uh, meet them at some fancy party or something like that. And if they, if they haven't been in New York for that long, they've sort of been trained, like, I can't kiss it. It's just like you said, I can't, I'm not, I can't kiss anyone hello, like, on the cheek or whatever. And they come out and they have this big, they're, like, really proud. And they, like, stick out their hand to shake your hand. I'm like, come on. It's Brazilian time. I like, and kiss them on the cheek and stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm the American who should be giving a handshake. They're the Brazilian who should be coming in to give me, like, a kiss on the cheek. And we're, we switch. Cause I'm like, oh, they're Brazilian. I'll give them, and they're like, oh, he's an American. I'm gonna shake their hand. It's, I love it.
0: Have you ever went through any uncomfortable moments while traveling, especially in your early travels?
1: I mean, I, th- I think, yeah, I think everyone goes through uncomfortable moments all the time when they travel. That's kind of the whole point of it. I mean, there's just things like how people deal with lines. Like, there's some countries where everyone cuts the line all the time, and then you're not cutting the line, and you won't do it, so you're like in the back of the line, and the line keeps growing. And you're getting so mad and then you're, then, and it's just, you know, you got to take it easy because this is just the way things are are done. Tipping, stuff like that. Like, what do I tip? Do I, it's so uncomfortable. Do I not tip? Or just like romantic things. Like if you're traveling while single, you just, you're going to get in some embarrassing situations where you just don't really know how to act for sure. Um,
0: yeah because dating culturally also really different, the way people approach, how quickly.
1: I love to like walk into stores and joke around and, and like, oh, I like to just like make conversation with storekeepers or whatever. And I was like, boy, France, everyone's so rude because nobody's making conversation with me. But then I kind of realized it's because I'm not I'm not following the script of the way that uh, a conversation needs to go. And, and there's this I call it like it's kind of like a play. Like you have to follow the script. You walk into a store and if it's like a quiet store without you have to sort of say you know like bonjour you have to be like hello ma'am how are you today and then they say hello sir how are you today and then how can i help you oh just browsing madame and and then after all that you can start joking with them but if you just come in like you're in new york and you're like hey guys oh that's quite a sandwich you guys making like, they look at you like you're... So, that's the sort of thing that's very uncomfortable. Like, getting these cold stares or people's weird looks or whatever. Also, I mean, then that trip to Africa, people used to, like, touch my arm hair all the time. Like, people just come up to you and touch your my arm hair because they didn't have arm hair oh, in wow. that country. I've seen... Uh, sort of the opposite thing, uh, I follow this uh, black woman who who has a lot of videos on travel, and she says it can be the opposite thing in certain countries where there aren 't any black isn 't any black population they 'll come up to touch her hair, which of course you know especially if it 's a woman and especially you know this seems to us to be a sort of harassment, so you really have to deal with these cultural differences and decide how you 're going to react and be very, very flexible. One thing about China is people not have the same beliefs about personal space and privacy right so first of all there's kids like pooping in the street like their parents just are like holding them over the curb and they're just usually using it for a bathroom so you're like what the hell's going on here but okay that's just normal and uh i was on a boat in china and and and, um a ferry boat so there was all chinese people and me and one kid through google translate asked me do i have an american dollar like he'd never seen a dollar so i'm like oh i think i have one in my bag so i had my like a little travel suitcase And I like, and there's like maybe 10 people, like just sort of around the little area where we are. So I unzip my suitcase and I open it up, and these people instantly rush over, lean over, and stare into my suitcase because they're so curious about what would be in this foreigner's suitcase. And it's not rude to do that. So it's hilarious, but it's also uncomfortable. I'm like, it's clearly uncomfortable. And luckily by that time I'd been in China about a week, I kind of figured it out.
0: Very interesting. The thing you were talking about, France, about communication, I remember that uh, in in New York, it's really common for you to just stop someone or just get in the middle of their conversation. Like right. if, some, there's, right. if two people are talking, you can just respond to someone's exactly. question. And that's how people meet here. Exactly. But in France, that is absolutely rude. But I think it's definitely uncomfortable to accept that your reality is not universal
1: exactly
0: you're gonna have to adapt and learn again like a baby so like i think traveling is also just really humbling in that sense
1: well you know what's the also like if you go to china go to a small enough town there's no english you do feel like a baby you are illiterate (laughs) like you know i actually had a flashback to like kindergarten walking around a small town in china i'm looking at all these signs oh so i I hurt... So Chinese beds are really hard. So I, my back was killing me. So I'm like, I got to get a massage. And I, I'm walking around the streets. I'm like, I don't know what a massage place is. I can't read any of the signs. And it's not like you're in... Like if you're in Turkey or something where the, it's the same letters. Like maybe you won't understand much, but it probably the word for massage is something like massaju or something like that. No, in China you can't literally understand. I had to peer into the windows of all the businesses to see what the business was about. I didn't even know what a restaurant was unless they had like a picture of food in the window. Yeah, I was totally illiterate. It's, you are like a baby when you travel.
0: So how important do you think it is to know some or a a lot of the local language to travel? Because I think it's definitely an opportunity to really uh, connect with the locals in a different level because people really open up when they're speaking their home language. You know, even though a lot of people speak, speak English the whole world does not speak English. So how important do you think that is?
1: I mean, I wouldn't let it stop me from going to a place because I didn't speak the language. I mean, I think you have to learn those 10 words, like thank you and hello and stuff like that. I mean, you have- that's such an easy thing to do that you have to do it. You're such a loser if you don't know how to say thank you and you're welcome and hello and goodbye in any place you go to or if you're too scared to try to pronounce it. Just figure it out. Um, but I guess I would say it's a completely different experience to be in a place where you know the language versus a place where you don't know the language. And then there's the middle experience of you're sort of okay in the language. So I wouldn't say either one is good or bad. I guess it's a little bit better obviously to know the language, but that's so much work that like it shouldn't stop people from going. You can still have great experiences and now we have Google Translate and we have beyond google translate i mean eventually we're we're gonna have really really good machines that you i mean already can kind of do this you talk into it and it speaks the language back to you and then it understands what people are saying to you i mean that already exists i think it's going to become easier so it's not as bad as it used to be but it certainly makes a huge difference like uh, so i'll give you an example i always if people are going to um you know, we're in New York. People like to go to the Caribbean in the winter because it's only four-hour flight and it's warm and sunny. So mostly they go to lie on the beach, but there's also amazing culture in the Caribbean, right? So I always say, like, they're like, what island should I go to? I'm like, should I go to Jamaica or should I go to the Dominican Republic? Or Because I'm like, well, you know, how's your Spanish, right? You don't speak any Spanish? All other things being equal... Go to a resort in Jamaica instead of a resort in the Dominican Republic. Because both countries have amazing culture. You'll have better access to the culture in Jamaica because it's an English-speaking country. Um, That doesn't mean go eight times to Jamaica and never go to the Dominican Republic. But if you've never been to either place and you are also interested in exploring the towns and going to real restaurants and stuff, yeah, go to the place where they speak English. It's going to be better.
0: What are the best tools for self-discovery while traveling?
1: like forcing yourself to be outgoing even if you're not really that outgoing i've realized i have two different just like you said i have two different sort of personalities in english and in portuguese i also have two different personalities in like traveling and not traveling so if i'm in new york sometimes i'm in a good mood and i like talk to strangers but most of the time i'm not I mean, I'm not in a good enough mood to do that. Like I got my own stuff going on and I'm thinking about work. and So I just like don't talk to anyone in the subway or whatever. When I'm traveling, I turn it all up a notch. Like I go into places eager to speak to people all the time. Like I'm trying to talk to people and it's somewhat artificial. But the reason I do it is because I know what the payoff is going to be. You have to fake being outgoing
0: if necessary if
1: necessary and be willing to talk to people and just be really just be really conscious of your phone and your your screens and stuff like that and 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 force yourself to first of all think about what you're if you're not talking to anybody then maybe you're thinking about what's going on around you and not making a strict schedule like leaving some flexibility to do some exploring
0: like get lost and meet new people be spontaneous no itinerary Uh, i mean
1: you do need to do this sort of basic recognizance mission of like how dangerous a place is like i wouldn't tell someone oh go to rio de janeiro and just wander around no problem definitely don't right so you have to know what the boundaries are right
0: a lot of people are scared of traveling and getting out of their comfort zone in that way do you think traveling is a lot less scary once you do it? You realize that you've been magnifying the fear? Uh,
1: I think no. I think that once you've done it a few times, you get better at it. I was lucky enough to, be, to watch my parents do it when I was a kid. So really when I was like a tween or a teenager. So I already kind of knew some stuff about it. You don't have to do it by going to a really faraway place. You just have to go to a place that's different from your own. You live in the country Spend more time in the city. You live in the city, spend more time in the country. You live in Queens, spend more time in Brooklyn. You know, you live on Miami Beach, spend more time in, insert Miami neighborhood here. L- <laughs> little Haiti, little Haiti. That's a good one.
0: I, I agree. I think uh, when you put yourself in situations of contrast, that's where you, when you learn the most about yourself and about new places.
1: You know, I just, uh, I teach this class and, and this guy, Robert Sitsima, who's this, uh, I don't know how old he is. He must be in his seventies. He's a, he's a food critic for Eater. And he speaks to my class, and all he did for decades is go eat at immigrant-owned restaurants in New York. Like, the far corners of New York where, like, no one goes just to eat at a restaurant ever. Like, a Guyanese restaurant in, like, Ozone Park, Queens. And he said in all of those decades, he's often been nervous to go into a restaurant or because he's so different from everyone in there. He said no one has ever been mean to him or kicked him out of anywhere or said, what are you doing here ever? I think a lot of times people think, oh, going there might be dangerous, so I won't go. But really what it is, is it's dangerous to your ego because you're not really sure you're socially uneasy about going to a place. And so you invent an excuse for not going there.
0: I want to ask this very briefly because I know uh, we're running out of time, but traveling alone versus traveling with someone. What are the key differences or benefits and which one would you prioritize for any traveler?
1: It depends on a lot of things. Traveling alone, obviously, well, I'm saying obviously, but it's not obvious if you haven't done it, forces you to talk to other people a lot more. So if you're traveling with someone else, that's an easy way to like, oh, you go to a restaurant, you talk to that person, you go to a museum, you talk to that person. Now, if one of the two people is really outgoing and, and like, if you travel with me, You'll talk to a lot of other people because I will talk to a lot of other people. But generally speaking, um, you know, for someone who's traveling and has never traveled before, then maybe that's the way to go.
0: Traveling with an outgoing friend.
1: Yeah, or with any friend just because it's, it's hard to travel alone. It's lonely to travel alone. It has its negative side. The positive side is obvious. You meet tons of people. A lot of times you'll meet someone, especially young people will meet someone and end up traveling with them, you know, if you're backpacking around for like a few days or a week or whatever. Um, but it is more challenging. Um, it is scarier if something happens to you, like you get sick or hurt. It's scary to be alone. I, I was on a, some, some trail in Peru that I did myself. And it started to get dark. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it back before it gets dark. And I don't know if I can find my way back. And if you have two people, like, or what if I fell and break my leg? Someone can go and get help. I mean, so there's a lot of things that are scarier about traveling alone. But it is, a, for a lot of people, it's really worth it. And it's also a way to get to know yourself. You put yourself in these positions or you, you spend, have a lot of time to think. I would always still take my heavy old camera. Like, everywhere I was, I'd try to figure out a way to, like, look and take a picture of a place. And it would help me see a place better like through a lens. So that was one way that I dealt with loneliness when you're traveling. Okay, I'm going to create great photography.
0: So to wrap it up, traveling is something that's always going to get you out of your comfort zone. I think even if you've done it a million times, it's still going to be an uncomfortable experience. You're just going to gain more knowledge and be more prepared for different situations. But... There's always going to be different things happening. If you've never traveled before and you're really shy, maybe, you know, travel with a friend at first, maybe someone who speaks a local language or is a bit more of an extrovert to get you out of your shell. But traveling alone also, you know, provides you a lot of opportunity for self-discovery. But what I want to know is, as you're traveling and feeling all that discomfort, what are maybe some ways for you to find comfort within that experience of discomfort?
1: Uh, Keeping a journal is a great way to do it. Mm. Um, you you feel discomfort. You write about your discomfort. You'll feel better about your discomfort. Having a good book to read. All the same practices we use at home. Like if you're a meditator, then you meditate. And you know you do want to do enough advanced planning that you're not like really stuck. Like um, I, I once was in Puerto Rico and I, I didn't get a hotel room in time and there was a surfing event and there were literally no hotels anywhere nearby and I slept in my car like a little bit of research in advance I'm not saying plan everything but do a little bit of planning make sure where you're going is safe Um, make sure you like bring enough water and energy bars or something that if you get stuck on a trail you'll have something to eat I mean just sort of these sort of basic precautions and preparation and stuff like that, I guess. I mean, but it's, you're out there, you're having an adventure and, you know, there will be tough times when you're traveling alone. And um, I can though guarantee that when you get back, you're better off than you were before you went.
0: That's awesome. Any final advice for our potential travelers listening right now or people who are maybe scared of traveling and want to take that leap?
1: Go visit somewhere where you already know somebody who's there. I've made really good friends with people who like, hey, look up Seth while you're in New York and get a tour of his neighborhood in Jackson Heights. So go with local contacts. And if you don't have any local contacts somewhere, go somewhere else where you do. Choose your trip based on visiting someone you already know.
0: That's great advice for new travelers. Amazing. Seth, where can people find you and learn more about your work?
1: Well, if you speak Portuguese, you can... Go to Amigo Gringo uh, on YouTube and Instagram and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you can, I mean, I have a website, SethKugel.com. Uh, I write a column for the New York Times. I'm every, S-E-T-H-K-U-G-E-L. I'm the only Seth Kugel in the world. I'm very googleable You can find out probably more about me than I'd want you to just with Google
0: amazing thank you so much for joining us seth
1: all right thank Um,
0: you i'm carolina risotto this was no ducks given podcast i hope that after today's episode you're feeling a little more inspired to get out of your comfort zone travel somewhere new let it be somewhere near you or to the other end of the earth but remember to share this episode with someone who you think needs to hear some of this advice and get out of their of their comfort zone and this was no ducks given podcast we'll see you on the next one quack
1: am i supposed to quack Quack.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Thanks, Seth.